Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. We begin this morning with a new report out today that paints a grim picture of the future of child care in our state. That industry was a tough one even before the COVID-19 pandemic. Now it's been driven to the brink. This KQED's Katie Orr reports. The report from UC Berkeley's Center for the Study of Child Care Employment finds an industry that's already taxed struggling to survive the COVID-19 pandemic. Center Director Leah Austin says there are a couple big takeaways. This workforce you know, is very concerned about their own health risk. It finds that programs are financially struggling. Um, I think we have had a sense for many months now that the child care system in the middle of this pandemic is really on the verge of collapse. The survey of nearly a 1,000 providers shows about 80% are taking care of fewer kids because of health and safety restrictions. This leads to reduced income, which in turn leads to more financial uncertainty. Austin says there was a child care shortage before COVID, and the pandemic is going to make it worse. Bottom line is that there will be less child care available. And if there's less child care available, then there's less opportunity for working parents to be able to utilize childcare, and, you know, that's a domino effect. Meaning, without childcare, parents may have to drop out of the workforce. The report finds the industry needs a huge boost in government funding to help support the system. Austin points out providers are overwhelmingly women, and in California, women of color, a group, she says, whose work has been historically undervalued. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento. At the opposite end of the educational spectrum in higher ed, it's looking more and more like undergrads at the 23 Cal State University campuses will be required to take an ethnic studies class. From KPCC, Adolfo Guzman-Lopez reports. A Cal State board committee voted Tuesday to move ahead with the idea. It's expected to win final approval from the full board today. Vice Chancellor Lauren Blanchard said students could fulfill the requirement by taking classes on a variety of topics, including African-American literature, police reform, and Native American studies. And they will also better understand and appreciate and become inspired to fulfill their role in solving societal problems and in transforming California. The requirement would be in place in three years, but there's a competing proposal. A bill in the state legislature would also create a Cal State Ethnic Studies requirement. One big difference is that it would give Ethnic Studies faculty control over the curriculum. The Cal State proposal would give other departments a say. If the bill passes and Governor Newsom signs it into law, it would supersede the Cal State requirement. For the California Report, I'm Adolfo Guzman-Lopez. 
Despite that push for more inclusion in our state, a very different story is playing out, of course, at the federal level. Yesterday, President Donald Trump ordered the Commerce Department to exclude undocumented immigrants from the census, the count that determines, among other things, a state's representation in Congress back in Washington. KQED's Farida Jabala Romero reports the move was roundly condemned as unlawful by several California lawmakers and top government officials. President Trump says undocumented residents should not be factored into a state's political representation because it undermines American citizens. Palo Alto Congresswoman Anna Eshu, who's on a committee overseeing the Census Bureau, says the president just wants to energize his base before the election. This is clearly a move that is unconstitutional. The U.S. Constitution says representatives shall be apportioned counting the whole number of persons in each state. Eshoo says Trump aims to rob congressional seats from California, which has more than 2 million undocumented immigrants. That would be a dream come true for Donald Trump because he doesn't think that any of these people count in life anyway. With the census underway, Trump's order can make it harder to count all immigrant families, says Julia Marks with the Asian Law Caucus in San Francisco. This has been an extraordinarily difficult census because of the public health situation and because of existing statements from the Trump administration that make this a scary environment for immigrant communities. State Senator Tom Umberg says an undercount would also cost California a lot of money for critical needs like hospitals and roads. We in California need to make sure that we redouble our efforts to get the message out to all Californians, irrespective of whatever their status is, that they have to be counted. And it's not just for their own benefit, it's for all our benefit. The census does not ask people about immigration status, and the White House didn't say how undocumented people would be excluded. But California Attorney General Javier Becerra says he'll be watching. The moment they take action, and that action would amount to a violation of the law, we now have standing, if it harms California, and it would, to sue the Trump administration. California is already at risk of losing a congressional seat as its population growth slows down. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. A conservative nonprofit is suing Governor Gavin Newsom and state officials on behalf of nine parents. They claim the statewide order stopping districts from reopening to in-person classes is unconstitutional. KQED's Hannah Hageman has more. The governor said last week that until counties are off the state's COVID-19 watch list for 14 consecutive days, schools can't reopen. That means parents in most regions of the state will likely not be able to send their children back to school campuses this fall, raising issues of inequity, according to the lawsuit. Harmeet Dillon, who heads the Center for American Liberty, says wealthier families can afford to homeschool children or hire private tutors, but the vast majority of children in California we saw in the spring semester of this year were failed by the state of California in its educational plans. In Los Angeles County alone, tens of thousands of students simply were unable to log in or did not show up. The nine parents represented in the case argue online distance learning is taking a toll on their children and families. At the same time, teachers have voiced concerns about being at risk for COVID-19 if they go back to in-person instruction. For the California Report, I'm Hannah Hageman. 
Most workers who can work from home say they want to keep working from home even after the COVID-19 pandemic is over. That's according to a new poll commissioned by Cap Radio in partnership with the nonprofit Valley Vision. Cap Radio's Pauline Bartoloni reports that in Sacramento, employers who can swing it are already on it. When California issued shelter-in-place orders in March, Lori Rodriguez got really busy. She's in Human Resources at Sacramento Municipal Utilities District, or SMUD. She helped set up hundreds of employees to work from their homes. Almost overnight, we were able to transition about 1,300 employees from an office to remote working. About half of their 2,200 employees are still working at home. Analysts, supervisors, planners. And in late May, SMUD sent them a survey. The majority of employees working remotely rated their morale or emotional wellness as either very positive or somewhat positive. So it it just kind of pointed to us that um, remote work was, was working. A recent CAP Radio poll of the greater Sacramento area suggests there's more widespread enthusiasm for home working. About two-thirds of those still employed in eight counties from the valley to the foothills and north of Sacramento say they would like to keep doing their job at home for at least two days a week, even when the pandemic is over. A lot of employers have found all the things that we were worried about that wouldn't work remotely actually work quite effectively. Jessica Hawthorne is with California Employers Association, which helps hundreds of workplaces navigate HR quandaries. She says a lot of higher-ups who are once reluctant about remote work are now feeling more flexible. I think what the pandemic has done is it's opened people's eyes to when it really can work and being able to utilize workspaces and office spaces more efficiently. Hawthorne says some businesses are even considering selling their buildings or getting out of leases to save money. We are seeing a long-term societal shift, and it ultimately is going to be positive. Rob Lapsley of the California Business Roundtable says large employers are actively talking about how to continue telecommuting. They are finding that they are able to achieve some of the same levels of productivity that they have if they're in the workplace or not. They're getting the job done and they're doing it well. But Lapsley says state lawmakers will have to make some changes to employment law to help private companies accommodate. Employers are embracing this change, but under conditions. They also need public policy changes that will lessen liability risk, that will provide some changes like in the eight-hour workday and overtime, because the whole workday, the whole concept has changed. There are some downsides to home working. For instance, no water cooler conversations. Smuds Lori Rodriguez says when the pandemic is over, the energy company will have a little bit of both, a hybrid work model where many people can arrange to work from home, but come to the office when necessary. When we talk about returning, it's really not back to normal. It's a new normal and remote work plays a significant role in that. For the California Report, I'm Pauline Bartoloni in Sacramento. Finally this morning, did you know that California has just one wolf pack? Well, that pack is growing for the fourth straight year. Scientists have announced northeastern California is now home to eight new wolf pups. KQED science reporter Leslie McClurg has more. The pack in Lassen County is now home to at least 14 animals. 
mom, dad, four young wolves from a previous litter, and now the new pups. Scientists are tracking the endangered animals through the DNA in their scat. In the last century, only two wolf packs have been seen in California. In 2015, a pack was tracked in Shasta County, but a year later, they could not be found. Advocates worry efforts by the Trump administration could threaten the future of wolf recovery. Last year, the government threatened to remove legal protections from wolves across the country. Although state law protects wolves in California, Oregon law does not, and wolves often travel across that border. For the California Report, I'm Leslie McClurg. And that is the California Report for this Wednesday. I'm Lily Dramali. Thanks so much for listening. Support for the California Report comes from Water Heaters Only. Specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured. Open 24 hours a day, every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Hint. Water with a touch of true fruit flavor. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.